The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Welcome to Big Technology Podcast Friday edition, where we break down the news in our traditional cool-headed and nuanced format. We have a packed show for you today in a packed week of news. Amazon, well, it's in the sights of the FTC. The big one might be coming for the company. It's also right now under threat with another lawsuit from the Federal Trade Commission about its practices with Prime. First of all, Ranjan Roy is here with us as always on Fridays. Welcome, Ranjan. This is going to be a fun one. We also have Jason Del Rey. He's the author of the brand new book, Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. Matt Stoller is here. He's the director of research at the American Economic Liberties Project, and he also writes a great newsletter on Substack called Big. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. This is a dream panel, honestly. Dream group of folks um, to talk about uh, some massive, massive stories So why don't we just start with the first one, which is that the big one, right? Which is how Bloomberg titled it, the big case against Amazon that it seems like Lena Khan at the FTC has been rearing up, ready to bring. It looks like it's on its way. It might even be here before August. Matt, you you are the one who's been following the antitrust stuff, uh, you know, probably more than than most in the world. Um, what is going to happen? Oh, stop it, one? you. Oh, you. <laughs> What's the he, big wrote, one? he wrote the book. Yes, he wrote sir. the book on what it. What is the big one? Uh, so, right. So the one way to think about what's happening is you have this person, Lena Khan, at the Federal Trade Commission who's just got it out for Amazon and wants to do something to rein in their power. And uh, that's not the way that I see things. There are a series of arguments from a lot of different people in the economy and a series of legal actions to address what are basically practices, unlawful practices that harm consumers and third-party sellers and um, uh, companies that produce goods and sell online and rival retailers and fundamentally communities in America. And those unlawful uh, business practices have to be distinguished from the awesome stuff that Amazon does as a as a, a new and innovative retailer. So um, there are a couple, there are a bunch of different antitrust suits from state. Uh, basically state attorneys general and then private plaintiffs that talk essentially about Amazon Prime and some of the unlawful business practices around Amazon Prime that end up harming consumers in different ways. Um, the FTC suit, which Bloomberg reported, so I don't, you know, we don't know if it's if that's the extent of the suit. There might be stuff on cloud, there might not be, there the might the suit might look different. Um, but it looks like the FTC suit is going to be fairly similar to some of the other antitrust suits that have come out of Washington State, Washington, D.C., some private plaintiffs, and I believe in, in California. And what they essentially say is that Amazon Prime, in order to finance two-day shipping, right, and or, or same-day shipping and keep prices lower than everywhere else, right, it you know, how do they do that? They're not magicians, right? They, they have some good logistics technology, but it doesn't make sense that you would be able to get a good or service from Amazon plus free shipping and not be able to find it anywhere else online for cheaper. Why, how are they able to do that? Well, the, the answer is they sign, they say, if you want to sell through Amazon, right? If you want to sell particularly to prime members, and remember there's 150 to 200 million 
prime members. So if that basically means if you want to sell online, period, then you have to keep your prices elsewhere through other non-Amazon channels, including Walmart.com or other, you know, other, um, uh, other retail channels, including your own website. You can't sell for a cheaper price than is listed on Amazon to Prime members. And this pushes up prices everywhere in the economy. And so while to the consumer, it looks like Amazon Prime is the best deal, right? It's the cheapest price. That's only because Amazon has prohibited other firms who might be able to sell it cheaper or more um, efficiently or in through other you know, differentiated ways prohibits them from doing it. And right. that's the practice that these antitrust lawsuits have attacked. And it looks like that's the practice that the Federal Trade Commission is going to attack. Well, Jason, there are a few other things. Yep, too. Jason, your your book is all about competition between Amazon and Walmart. It's not like Amazon is competing against a lightweight here. I mean, you have Walmart, which is the biggest biggest commerce company, you know, in the globe. Yep. So, how? I mean, what do you think about these these allegations? And and if they're true, why hasn't Walmart been able to punch back? Yeah. So, I mean, I I think just in recent years, Walmart's. Uh, finally been able to at least hold their own a little bit more and they you know they have in the past i i outline in the book some anecdotes about sort of a pricing war between the two companies where walmart's going and squeezing you know competitors uh sorry squeezing brands that are selling on amazon and vice versa because of amazon's algorithm driving down the price and so there's been you know in recent years walmart's gotten their act together a little bit but the history of how Amazon got ahead of Walmart, you know, who many thought would never be, you know, uh, upended, you know, has a couple of different reasons for it. So one is, you know, you could make the argument as some do that, um, you know, government was asleep at the wheel for a long time in anti as, as it pertains to antitrust. Amazon also had, you know, the tax advantage online for many years where uh, they were not collecting sales talk tax from customers and so not charging sales tax, which which some argued, uh, you know, was just an inherent pricing advantage. Um, but really, Prime was, you know, the key piece of the Amazon machine or what they would call the flywheel for many, many, many years. And so if you attack Prime, as FTC did in the in the lawsuit in the past week, and, and in some ways, it seems like will in the antitrust suit, you know, a whole lot of a whole lot could change about Amazon's advantages. Well, uh, on this, because Matt, you'd mentioned the price goes up elsewhere in the economy. Like, how do we differentiate Prime from a consumer standpoint? Obviously, people generally seem to love it. You get your video, you get two day shipping, you get everything. So how does the case lay out how this actually negatively affects the economy as a whole when every individual consumer seems to be pretty happy? Right. So it's a great question. So first of all, the, the suit that uh, Jason's referring to that the FTC filed a week ago is about how it's like really hard to unsubscribe from Prime. And it's a consumer deception claim. If they say it's sort of, it, Amazon sort of tricks people into signing up for Prime in certain ways, and then they make it, it's like, I don't know, six clicks and lots of different screens to like unsubscribe. So, it, and I think that that the point, and there are internal discussions at Amazon about they call it, I think, the unsubscribing process project Iliad. After <laughs> it's the, a Homeric Odyssey to try. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, That was that um, was incredible. It was. It's it's kind of hilarious. Um, 
but it just show, I think it shows the importance of what Jason was saying. This is, Prime is really important to Amazon to the point where I think the FTC would claim they're deceiving users into into canceling it. So I think now that you may not agree with that, but like I think that the premise that people really like it is kind of undercut by the fact that Amazon makes it really hard to quit. So clearly people are canceling and they are, are trying to prevent people from canceling. But I think your broad point that people really like Prime is true. Um, but the reason that they really like it is because they never see uh, any alternatives because people rivals have um except for you know amazon or except for walmart which has massive amounts of capital um no one you know no one else really can um is legally allowed i think based on amazon's practices to actually give a better uh, a better price or better service right it's like if i have a widget and i'm selling it on amazon and it say it costs six dollars for me you know the price and then it's four dollars for me to to use Amazon's fulfillment business to make sure that the shipping conforms to prime standards, right? I can't break that out to customers and say it's it's $6 for the product and then $4 for all of the fees that I have to pay to Amazon. I just say it's $10. And then everywhere else in the economy, um, maybe not in like retail stores, but everywhere else online, it's going to be at least $10. Um, I could, if Amazon, and then if I if I say, oh, it's actually six dollars here plus you know four dollars shipping, or if you want to get it for a little bit later, a um, dollar shipping or something. If I do that, then Amazon will not make that product um, accessible to Prime members, and so my business will get wiped out. And that's called a, a they used to do that in contract. It was called a price parity agreement. Then the Senate wrote them and said this looks illegal, and Amazon said, oh, we're not going to do that anymore. And now they just do it through algorithm. And so I think the reason that consumers love Prime and see it as a great uh, service is that they don't know that they're getting um, a worse price. And instead, like Amazon takes that $4, which is not just shipping, but also just about $100, $150 billion of extra cash for Amazon, and they pump it into all of these services like music and movies and, um, and games and all of these things that nobody's actually trying to pay for themselves and they just get this stuff that looks free. But right. in fact, it's not free. People are paying for it. They just don't know they're paying for it. It is interesting the way that um, the FTC is approaching this stuff. So last week, so we've talked a little bit about how hard it is to cancel Prime. And last week I was like, all right, let me give this a shot. And I went and tried to cancel Prime and it took me less than a minute. And when I tweeted about that, I'm like, what am I missing? Jason pointed out that they had actually made some changes, right? And, and they had done this in response to some of the action that they're getting from government, whether it's in Europe or in the US. And, you know, it is interesting. I think the main question about the FTC now is an un the unwillingness to compromise that they have with these companies or the unwillingness to let them fix the problems and, and the desire to go ahead and, and sue no matter what. So this is coming from Bloomberg where it talks about the compromises that Europe's made. And the story says, while Amazon could make a similar offer to the U.S. market, Khan has signaled opposition to, to such compromises, telling a Senate committee last year that the FTC would strongly disfavor such remedies. So, Jason, you know, I'm curious because, again, like you're looking at this from the competition element, you know, on your, uh, you know, in your book. Um, I'm curious, why do you think the FTC is so strongly in opposition to the companies taking moves to like, quote unquote, you know, self-regulate? And and how do the companies feel inside? I mean, you, you're covered Walmart and Amazon in your book, right? These are the two yeah. companies that have like some of the most government 
scrutiny on them. They're probably used to this type of stuff, but it does feel like there's a different uh, a regime, right? A regulatory regime in place. So how do, how are they yeah, handling? I, I mean, I, I think Matt also would, would have some interesting insights on this, but my sense is we've gone decades with no action, right? And so to now put it in the hands of these companies and trust that they will self-regulate, I mean, just seems like beyond wishful thinking, just mm-hmm. very naive. And I think- But isn't there, it, a, isn't there a point where like, it's not self-regulation, but it's bring the action, see how they respond, and then decide whether you're satisfied with that response or not. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, I think, I think some of it or a lot of it might also be about the optics and sending a message and, and we are here and we're not going away. I don't know what Matt thinks about that idea, but you're, you're talking Alex, essentially just to make sure I'm understanding, like, why not just settle like the FTC has with smaller companies with, you know, similar practices versus, you know, filing the suit. Let's go back to that example I gave about the prime cancellation, right? Obviously prime is a lot easier to cancel now than it was previously yet the FTC is still bringing that suit. So I, I'm curious, you know, is it like more like don't keep doing this or we're going to punish you or like what is the purpose in that in that moment? Can, yeah, Matt, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I wouldn't, ex- okay, so, so first of all, I think it's a, you know, I'm not totally sure that you might have had a, a, an easier experience canceling mm-hmm. Prime. That's not necessarily true for everyone. Amazon's very complicated and there's lots of, 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 you know, they can personalize experience. I could have so, had so, yeah, the tech reporter flow. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, right? Um, but I think there's a there's a really there's a couple important points in your story. First of all, Amazon changed their process because of legal pressure, right? Which is something that we see in general. Um, they've also changed some of the ways that they handle third party sellers in response to potential legal pressure on. Um, uh, from the FTC on this antitrust suit, they've reopened seller fulfillment and other antitrust suits. So you're already seeing legal pressure work. But one of the things to understand about Amazon is that it, it has engaged in extremely bad faith for a long time vis-a-vis regulators and and pressure. So in 2018, Senate um, Senator Richard Blumenthal wrote the uh, Amazon and said, "You have these price parity agreements." This seems problematic. It seems like you're raising prices on consumers. And Amazon said, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll get rid of them. And they just lied. Like they didn't. Right. And you might think it's not a big deal to lie to the Senate, but. No, I I do not think that. Sure not. Do you think that, Alex? No, no. I I would not. Would not recommend that to anybody listening. (laughs) I was I was being passive aggressive. That's the way you do. That's why. Wait, but actually, Um, Matt, on that, you mentioned that they got rid of the. They said they're getting rid of price parity agreements, but then they kind of hid it within an algorithmic function. Like they tried to use an algorithm as a cover. How do they get away with that? Or how does an algorithm? provide you cover from like a specific contractual agreement or does it and and it does the way the okay it doesn't you have to bring a lawsuit right i mean that's the thing is it's like they you know if they just say oh well we're not going to force you to to you know give us the best price with a contract but we're just not going to let you sell on prime through through the buy box if you do right and and we're just going to hide it in an algorithm that's the same thing functionally it's just there's no document saying it necessarily so that you know it just requires more uh, investigation and evidence so the other thing about amazon if you read the complaint on prime uh the subscription service one it's pretty clear that amazon 
re re repeatedly refused to honor document requests, lied about document requests, lied about their internal processes. Um, and effectively, the reason the FTC was able to keep the case going is because Business Insider yep. got a leak about how hard it was to cancel Prime. And then the FTC was like, they have been asking Amazon for documents. You're legally compelled to give documents to the FTC and Amazon just wouldn't. And then they lie. They're like, oh, there's nothing here. Then it came out that Business Insider, like, yeah, there are lots of documents. And so it's like, this is a, a great service and lots of consumers use it, but it's also like a, like an almost an organized crime racket, right? Like you can't lie to the government repeatedly without consequence. And so what the FTC is probably seeking with the prime suit is not just some sort of, of, of remedies here beyond what they've already done, but also a cease and desist order, like a, an order that's set from a court that says you can't do this anymore. Because the thing is, is that if you compromise with these firms and you say like a bad faith actor, like if it's a, you know, I think they, they compromise with Epic games, right? And Epic games said, Oh yeah, we're not going to do like mm -hmm. um, deceptive user interface anymore. And that's because Epic games, you know, was willing to, to change their practices um, or sm lots of smaller firms, firms that just operate in good faith, give documents. Most firms do that. Amazon doesn't, they hire a bunch of people from the FTC and they go to war. They fund the Chamber of Commerce in and um, in DC to like basically get attacks on Lena. I mean, they're it's they're just trying to destroy the government. Like that's what's really going on here. So, um, so they um, so they they engage in this bad faith. And what the FTC is seeking is a cease and desist order, so that if Amazon violates that cease and desist order, there are there are real teeth that say the FTC has authority to really make changes to your business if you do not actually stop deceiving consumers. And with a, a potential compromise with a firm like that, if Amazon just says, oh, we won't do it anymore, we've already seen that they're willing to just like not, not do what they said they were going to do. So I think there's like a pretty good reason. I think it's a lot of what Jason said. It's like there's been a hands-up policy for a really long time. And these companies, the big ones, look at the law as a kind of suggestion, set of suggestions, right. rather than yep. actually something to pay. And smaller firms don't do not do that. They pay attention to law and try to obey it. It's, only, it's like Amazon and a few of the big right. ones that don't. That clarifies things for me, for sure. Jason, like you have some very interesting stuff in your book that talks a little bit about Amazon's strategy at fighting the government. I mean, it's very fascinating. So for instance, you know, they will fight and try to dunk on politicians on Twitter. So I'm just yeah, kind of I mean, curious, I like, you know, didn't go well. What what is going through the the, the company's head in, in terms of this stuff? And you know, do they have? I mean, what Matt is saying is pretty pretty damning. So, do they have any like? What, what would be their argument against that? Yeah. So, I mean, there are a couple of a couple of things at play here in recent years. One is there is, I mean, and executives who are fans of the company would tell me this, not just critics of the company, that at the very highest level of the company, there is a complete bubble around the leadership team in a way where, and I think part of it is how long they've been at the company, that they really believe they are just a, a force for good and like cannot accept really any valid criticisms without attacking it as conspiratorial or, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, a lot of that came from Jeff Bezos himself and the group of, you know, mostly 
men he's had around him uh, over the course of the company's history. And so you, you're referencing, you know, tweeting at, you know, snarky or adversarial comments at uh, senators, I think, and, and also congressmen, you know, that was back in, I'm forgetting all my years are running together, but in the last couple of years, like that was, as I reported back then, and then I think the Wall Street Journal added to my reporting, um, that was like Bezos being pissed that <laughs> they were getting attacked too much. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he, he thought in an unfair way. And so I think the journal ended up reporting he and the former head of public relations, uh, Jay Carney, former Obama spokesman, uh, they like were crafting tweets themselves. I mean, it sounds ludicrous <laughs> and it is ludicrous, it does, yeah. but you know, so there's this, there's, there's like feeling that we are still, we, we are this young, innovative company and like, we're a force for good. And like, these are all haters. So, like that's, that's part of it. Another thing is, you know, they've long, they've always been combative with critics. And I think there were some really smart folks internally who had experience in DC, who were trying to force them into sort of a different path, not a path of like being walkovers when, when you think the government's wrong, but just, you know, not being sort of arrogant. And many of those folks, you know, either got pushed out or, or chose to leave because, uh, Amazon didn't seem to be learning any lessons from, you know, even a player like Walmart, which, you know, decade or two ago would at least pretend to listen to critics and, you know, sort of go on a listening tour, whether that was totally self-serving or not, you know, sort, sort of beside the point, but, um, Anyway, so that those are some that's some of you know the reporting I uncovered, um, you know, while writing the book, and uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like all that much has changed on, under Andy Jassy as CEO. Again, he's been at the company a really long time, but they, I think, they made more enemies than they needed to in DC over the last couple of years with their approach. Can I just give like a quick anecdote to kind of confirm what Jason is saying? Absolutely, because I please, think a lot of this please. is just. So, so two things. So they bought MGM, right? And then they like wrote down a lot of the value because it was a stupid acquisition. Um, and it's just like, that's just a bad business decision that they made and no one's going to be held accountable for it internally. Uh, and that's the symptom of a, of a giant bureaucracy that's just kind of a little bit out of touch. But the other one, and I think this is the kind of thing that really upsets people, and there's no defense to it, is there's a, there's a chemical called sodium nitrite, which is um, teenagers, it's like really useful if you want to commit suicide. Right. And so there was this trend where teenagers would go on Amazon and they would buy it if they wanted to kill themselves. And then Amazon's algorithm was like, hey, you people who bought this also bought like this guidebook on how to kill yourself and like all of these different tools. And it was just like them just horrible. And um, so there's a plaintiff's lawyer who said to, you know, representing some of these uh, families of of kids who bought this and killed themselves, like that went to different online retailers and said, would you please stop selling sodium nitrite? And um, all of them did except Amazon. Hmm. And they were just like, it's our right to sell sodium nitrite. And they fought it legally. And they're still fighting like a lawsuit. Now there are like state proposed laws saying, you know, you can't sell sodium nitrite unless, you know, unless you're selling it to a business. And it's like, why are you doing that? Like, that's crazy, you know, to, to, you know, and, and, you know, you, the economies of scale work until they become diseconomies of scale. Like, it's not a good thing that it's really easy to like get yourself a package of stuff that makes it easier for kids to, to kill themselves. So that's like the kind of thing. And there are like a lot of examples of that. And so that's the kind of thing that makes 
um, that indicates that there's like a little bit of an out of touch vibe at the top of Amazon, but also it's going to really upset people, uh, you know, across the, across the aisle. Well, when you're obviously hearing terrible things like that, make it seem like how come more people don't know about it and are aware of, you know, have a negative view of Amazon versus I get all my stuff in two days. Um, how do you think the FTC is playing out their strategy in terms of kind of like combating the optics of Amazon is the greatest way to shop online? Already, the way you laid it out is kind of interesting to me. It's like, starting with the subscription FTC suit and basically making it clear that no, not everyone loves Prime and it actually is difficult to cancel and starting there, then going for the big one seems to be kind of strategic in that way. But but again, like I hear that, you know, Amazon is crushing its suppliers or, you know, being uh, putting onerous terms on them so I can get, you know, some giant package in 24 hours still doesn't necessarily turn me off. Like, like how does LenaCon battled that whole perception. Yeah, I mean, I think, so you have to look at it in the broader context. And I'm not just saying that because that's an easy way to dodge a question when you say something like that. Um, uh, it is though. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's really about there. the uh, broad context here. Yeah. Um, let's take so, a step back. So, <laughs> let's take a step back and talk about something different. Um, uh, the real issue is. So, uh, <laughs> okay, we're going to stop, guys. Um, All right. The, the, um, there is a monopoly crisis in America writ large, okay? And I think that's like where, where Lena Khan comes out of and also Jonathan Cantor, the antitrust division, and a lot of politicians at a state and local level uh, and at, at a federal level, and Joe Biden, right? He just gave a speech on this last week. You know, there, there's consolidation everywhere, and it's driving uh, down wages. It's driving up costs in all sorts of areas like pharmaceuticals. I don't know if you've noticed, those are not cheap. And there's also all sorts of shortages. And that's because you have similar dynamics within the pharmaceutical supply chain as you do with Amazon. Um, and you can see it. I, I do a lot of like writing about different monopolies. There's monopolies in everything from mail sorting software to, to cheerleading to, you know, you see an oligopoly in airlines right now, like United is a disaster. So, so there's a broader dynamic here, like too big to fail of, in 2008, 9, 10 is actually something that is a problem across the economy. I mean, not even to mention banking. So like, it's really easy to like say, oh, Lena Khan is crazy and focus on her. And there's a lot of attempts to sort of personalize this. But the truth is Americans writ, brought, like, writ large are upset with, two, with big companies because they are causing a lot of problems. And we saw that very clearly during the financial crisis, but we keep seeing those problems over and over and over and over. And Amazon is a little bit of a pace setter here for these kinds of exploitation of loopholes, for example, like the tax um, sales tax, which is where Amazon got its start with that advantage, predatory pricing, selling below cost, which we've seen you know, Uber and Lyft do and destroy taxi markets everywhere. Um, the tactics that Amazon has pursued really define the modern economy. And so this case, um, whatever you know comes, is really important not just for Amazon but for this broader, uh, broader monopoly power crisis. So, okay, so with that um, in mind, like how do you make the case about uh, a product and service that consumers broadly like? I mean, I think the answer is you can disaggregate the idea of of flight, right? This great technology from the business practice of a baggage fee. Right? People can understand those two things. I like to be able to fly places. That's amazing. I don't like getting nickel and dimed. And so I think that's kind of the core 
messaging challenge from the FTC. Like this is not anti-Amazon. This is about specific unlawful practices that cause problems for rivals who are trying to compete in a fair market. And there are at this point, hundreds of thousands of people who have the experience of trying to use the Amazon marketplace, maybe millions at this point, uh, who understand at a core level that there's something rigged and unfair about what Amazon is doing. And I also think broadly speaking, while people do love Amazon, they also know that there's something dangerous about having a firm that is so big and so powerful and essentially unregulated. So that I think there's a there's a messaging challenge here, but I would move it a little bit away from the personalization here of Lena Khan and sort of recognize that it's a there's a broader dynamic. She's she's obviously a leader in this, but she's also a product of this broader dissatisfaction that we see with big with big business in general. Yeah, and another thing people really don't like is just like the revolving door between the, you mentioned, Matt, for instance, that Amazon has hired a bunch of people from the FTC. I mean, ex-FTC employees and lawyers are all over big tech right now, and the conflicts of interest go even deeper. So this is actually story, this story just broke as we were about to go on air today, but um, this is meta, but uh, I think it's relevant to sort of what we're talking about, where L'Oreal Pankey, who's the FTC's designated agency ethics official, asked Lena Khan to recuse herself from the Meta case. But she did that while owning between $15,000 and $50,000 in Meta stock. And I think people just do see this this failure of, of institutions in some ways, and they see like the revolving door and, and this type of stuff. And and they they start to question like whether the government can be effective in this area. So I am curious, Jason, let's go to you. Like, do you think that we're talking a lot about FTC? Do you think the FTC or regulators in general really can cause, um, can win these suits and can cause real change inside an Amazon or Walmart for that matter? I mean, listen, I was going to add one other point, which is, yeah, yeah, go for um, it. just, you were asking about like, um, I, I think you were kind of asking like, if consumers love this service or this company, like how do you, how do you, how do you make uh, this government, how do you make mm -hmm. a, a case against them in the sort of public sphere? And so I've, you know, my book came out about 10, 10 days ago and uh, I've been doing some local book chats, you know, one in my town at my library, I've done bookstores and something came out related to my book, which was like, you know, people who, who read the book said, wait, so like, if Walmart can't compete against, like, I love Amazon, but if Walmart can't really compete against Amazon, like, and I also hate Walmart, but like, what, like, what gives like, and, and so you see, I think if people do a little digging, like the, they do, they can love a service and still, I think as Matt was saying, be mm -hmm. concerned about, uh, you know, the power or how this is possible that this company upended this, what we thought was the unbeatable retailer. And so I don't know that that'll change consumer shopping habits, but I think, I think there is a way to get through, you know, walk this line. Um, can the, so, and sorry, Alex, so your question was, can, can the FTC be successful? Is that essentially? Yes. Um, I think if you believe, <laughs> If you believe there's something really long, wrong and unlawful, uh, you have to try it. That's I think that's what we're seeing. I, and you know, if you look to Europe, um, I'd be curious Matt's thoughts on this too. You know, some of the changes Amazon has been uh, forced to make to its business practices just in the last um, I don't know if it's been six months or or a year since some action in in Europe. Um, 
you know, you, you have to think FTC has a shot here. Now, you know, the, the obvious question is how long does this take and what happens in the interim, right? And so um, that that's, that's the big unknown for me is um, beyond whether this administration lasts, you know, beyond the next election, you know, what happens in a really dragged out lawsuit. And so um, I'm sure Matt's thought about it. I'm curious if either of you, you know, Ranjan or, or Alex have, but I, you know, do you, can you win a five, seven year battle? You don't know unless you try, but um, that that's sort of the big thing on my mind. And maybe I shouldn't be looking ahead that far, but I, but I, I can't help but. Well, I, I think like look at Facebook and Giphy, you know, it's not a huge transaction that got blocked, caused a lot of pain for Facebook. And Facebook is no longer acquisitive. They no longer, you know, have their entire strategy is just buy up whoever's a threat. So even these smaller things do seem to work. But I, I would be curious because I, I get this a lot where, you know, like from friends, what is, why has the FTC and Lena Khan already not put a stop to big tech? Big tech valuations are up. God knows how much this year it looks like power is getting concentrated again. Like, are we headed in the right direction regarding antitrust to Matt? There's so many questions um, <laughs> and and you're, you're forcing me to express my contempt for Europeans. Um, <laughs> I, I oh, God. Oh, God. The French, no, hate, no. Little, the French hate you for it. Matt. No, it's particularly the um, <laughs> antitrust enforcer, Margaret Vestager, yeah. who is a lot more bark than bite. Um, and uh, I have a very specialized contempt for Europeans. <laughs> no, no, no. Lay, lay, out the, lay out your bark. Well, they're just, you know, she just, she, she's just been saying, oh, we're dealing with big tech in Europe. And we, the American, you know, back in the mid 2010s, um, and uh, we're fighting Google. And like they've made zero change in the market structure of Google and Facebook in Europe, because it's it's like they don't actually want to enforce anything real. Um, I don't I haven't looked exactly at what's going on with Amazon. I think it's probably a little bit better there, but I'm not I just don't think that they're serious about the laws that, you know, the GDPR didn't matter. Like they're just I don't think Europeans are particularly serious about addressing market power questions. Um, they just want to pretend like they are. So um, that said, I mean, is the FTC successful? You know, you 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 noted that now you can unsubscribe from Prime in very quickly, right? Which is a result of regulatory pressure from Europe. And oh, you're from you're talking about Europe. <laughs> I think well, Europe probably helped push that forward. But no, you're right. I think the regulatory stuff does does cause that those changes. But that goes back kind of to my self regulation question of like, is that the best possible outcome we're going to get? Like well, this is, well, it was actually Norway that actually pushed Amazon almost the strongest of anyone to do to do the so, changes so, to Prime. So in the FTC complaint in the US, because mm -hmm. Amazon can change their practices in Norway and not in the US. Right, and right. they do that. Yep. Like, companies do that all the time. In the FTC complaint, they mentioned how in response to the investigation, Amazon changed uh, prime practices. Okay. Right? So it is, yeah, yeah. you know, That's I don't know if you call that success, but it's like, that is success in my things. book. Absolutely. And they've also, they, they also, um, one of the, the sort of key, the linchpins of the argument from antitrust enforcers is that you have to use Amazon's fulfillment service to get into, to get your products prime eligible. 
And I think Amazon a couple of weeks ago announced that they're going to allow sellers to be Prime eligible, mm -hmm. to, if, even if if they sign up for something called Seller Fulfilled Prime, which means you don't have to use their logistics. You just have to guarantee that it's two-day shipping and other things. I mean, who knows whether that's true, but that's clearly a response to pressure from antitrust enforcers. And you can generally see that across the board. Like there's an expression in uh, antitrust uh, among antitrust nerds that says the trial is the remedy. Mm -hmm. um, so businesses change their behavior in response to regulatory pressure, in response to public exposure on trials, even if the um, even if the government, you know, regardless whether government wins or not or, or not. So a good example back in the 60s was IBM was bundling its software with its hardware. And so no one was buying software because it was like, oh, you just buy the IBM 360 and you get this machine that works. And then there was an antitrust suit and IBM, one of the things they did is they unbundled their software and hardware. And all of a sudden now there's a commercial software industry. And that was a response to an antitrust suit. That suit ended up getting dropped in 1982 with no remedy, right? So, but there was an immensely successful suit, even though the government eventually dropped it. A lot of things happened in that suit to create the modern um, technology industry. So, yeah, I think these these things really do matter. Um, right. I forgot the last the last point about like the broader. Oh, is Linacon successful? I mean, I think you got to look to look like to other things, not just Amazon. I mean, big tech is Im very important, but if you look at mergers and acquisitions this year, um, they're down by pretty substantially. Uh, not just the raw number, um, but the uh, types of acquisitions are changing pretty dramatically, and across the board on lots of different industries. And partly that's a funding issue. Partly that's you know interest rates are higher. It's harder to get you know the levered loans you would need to buy other companies. Um, but partly that's um, because of stronger antitrust uh, challenges to mergers in everything from the pharmaceutical sector to you know big tech. Right. It's mm -hmm. just. You know, if your merger is going to be not maybe six months, but it's going to be 18 months and it's going to be like you're going to have to spend a lot of money on legal fees and, you know, could potentially get blocked. And, you know, the CEO is often held accountable when a merger doesn't go through. So Penguin um, bought, tried to buy Random House. That merger was blocked and then the CEO of Penguin had to resign. Hmm. And then Illumina tried to buy Grail. That merger got blocked. The CEO of, of Illumina had to resign. Right. So these are this is like a big deal. And so, so even just the prospect of a case um, changes behavior and you're seeing just a lot less M&A. And I think that's a big success. You've also seen okay. reduction in list prices for insulin, which I think is a big deal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are happening in the economy that are linked to antitrust, but just like your, right. your experience with Amazon Prime being easier to unsubscribe, they don't necessarily link it to official to what policymakers are doing, but it is a result of what policy. Exactly. Are. Yeah. And that's kind of, that was what I was curious about is like, is this pressure going to actually push these companies? Jason, one more question for you about competition. Sure. So you, it's kind of interesting how you, you talked about how people are like, and I guess that's one of your conclusions is that Walmart's really struggled to come to compete against Amazon. So can you just take us into the state of that competition today? I mean, obviously the pandemic helped Walmart accelerate its digital offering in a way that, you know, it took, it took it a while to do. And then like, can't Walmart use some of its competitive power to like go to suppliers, for instance, and say, you don't have to listen to this bullying by Amazon and we'll give you the better deal? Yeah, so two questions there. So state of the battle. I mean, Walmart, to be clear, some of Walmart struggled to compete. Not all, but some was was internally created, right? I mean, just disputes between 
store teams and e-commerce teams and leaders and profitability versus growth and which all does kind of go back to the from day one at amazon on wall street you know they jeff bezos and his then cfo told investors we're going to focus on growth not profits and they so they got this what some would call you know a hall pass for a really long time while walmart um was was you know expected to turn profits which most businesses are. Um, anyway, so the current state is, you know, Walmart is, uh, has poached a lot of Amazon folks. Um, they are, were forced during the pandemic to start utilizing their stores as pickup locations and, you know, mini delivery centers. And, you know, they're at a point now where they are, you know, somewhat formidable competitor, but without, and they knew this without getting people to leave prime, for their now new service called Walmart Plus, in the long run, many of their top executives believe they will lose large portions of their customer base to Amazon. You know, Walmart CEO internally, I reported my book, you know, told this board, made a presentation, basically calling Amazon an existential threat to their business, which again is absurd when you look at the size, sounds absurd when you look at the size of Walmart. Um, so, so current state is like, they are sort of a clear number two, um, and you know, are, are, have, have fought back somewhat successful in the last couple of years, but market share numbers online are still, I don't know, six or seven times smaller than, than Amazon. Uh, there was a second question in there, I believe Alex, but, um, I have trouble keeping track of more numbers above one sometimes. Uh, one thing, actually, I'm curious, like if you have a view into the company uh, with Amazon, how do people feel about jacked Jeff Bezos and this whole, like I literally was saw a headline yesterday that Lauren Sanchez, do you know she landed a helicopter herself? She flew it and landed it oh my on gosh. his $500 million super yacht, which is how TMZ put it. But but like obviously having this kind of like villainous character in this whole perceptual Should battle. we ask Jeff himself? Okay, oh so God. for listeners, Wait, Alex, Jason has the, what, uh, what Jason is holding. the Jeff Bezos um, action figure. Um, I did. I, I did not. Um, this Where was, does one get one of those? You know, you have to know. Amazon, very, I guess. But very special. Yeah. No, no. no. And then um, <laughs> um, this was one of his, hold it up a little higher. Um, one uh. of his robots from some event. Um, no, I did not buy these. It's sort of a fun um, gift from someone who was sent it. Uh, I think but it is a, uh, a rare collectible. Um, I was going to do a giveaway. <laughs> I, I, was I love do how we've gotten to the collectible part of the show. This is crucial gonna, that we going to do a giveaway with my book. Um, and you could do whatever you want with that action figure. But um, <laughs> anyway, there was a question about uh, jacked Jeff Bezos. And internally, how how does that? How are people dealing with that, or thinking about that, or like like I'm I'm more surprised that there's not some type of coordination on his image management given like the current regulatory pressure just obviously you don't want the founder and the face of the company even if he technically is not the ceo any longer you know having his wife land a helicopter on your 500 million dollar super yacht doesn't look great yeah i mean you. there i mean someone mentioned like lack of self-awareness or out of touch i mean again executives who i mean this goes back to the whole um years ago the you know, the divorce, his divorce and 
all the publicity around National Enquirer and the like. And it and, you know, the team around him, you know, a lot of people would tell me and other some other journalists that um, like we don't we thought we knew this guy, but we, we don't know who this guy is. And yeah, I mean, a lot of people really pissed at the company that he's been a distraction and if not worse than a distraction that, um, you know, the publicity around not only his wealth, but his extracurricular activities have, you know, only hurt the company, if anything. And, um, because, you know, he gets more attention for this and there's just overall more attention, attention on the company. And, um, you know, smart people would say they, Amazon could do without a little, a little extra scrutiny, uh, these days. And so, um, I would say, well, some just look at it as kind of a joke or like good for him, like just having, living his best life. Um, I think folks who are, you know, in, in roles of power inside that company have largely not been thrilled, but not many pe- despite, you know, what, you know, open debate at Amazon and all the, you know, the leadership principles, I, I'd you know, there are certain people that um, sort of in a bubble and and aren't challenged often and not surprisingly uh number one on that list is jeff bezos can i offer a political observation about the jeff bezos's so so i just note like please it resonated far beyond the company obviously um and i think the reason is because people look at bezos as a political figure and they look at amazon as a political institution it's Mm -hmm. not just a business right and i that and what's happening one way to understand the a lot of the legal um, background, political background of what's to the current moment is as an attempt of the legal regime to catch up to that reality, that Amazon is a essentially a public utility style core piece of social infrastructure. And yet you have this guy who's just running it. I mean, even if he isn't running it, he's running it, who seems to not, there's like a disjunction between like, the way he's living his life and the expectations that people have for somebody who owes the public something, whether that's at, whether right. that's fair or not, I'll just say I think that's one of the reasons why you have so much interest because he's not the first rich guy to do something outlandish. Don't why you, so much? Don't you think he should? He should. So speaking of that, don't you think he should sell the Washington Post? M- me? Bezos. Do I, think he should... <laughs> I mean, I, I would. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry. I, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't thought that that hard about that, but it seems like you think he should, Alex. I mean, you look at the disclosure now, it's not just Jeff Bezos is the owner, but the person running it is part of Bezos's orbit as well. Like there's a full paragraph in every Washington Post story uh, about disclosures with links to Bezos. So I do think he should sell it. I it mean, was I'm not saying the, the journalists are like doing his bidding, but like, come no, on. No, I mean, I would say the, I mean, uh, former, uh, former yeah. uh, Amazon beat reporter at, at the Washington Post, Jay Green, I think... Mm-hmm. He may he he was up there on the list of, of most hated journalists inside Amazon. So um, he's no longer there. But um, there's anyway. a there's a soft power to it, though. Okay, last let's last. last no, no, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also I right. why does he? I still don't quite understand what the goal is or what the end game is with it. Again, mm-hmm. I think either you go for world's richest man playboy and just stick to that role and go all in. But like the yeah the Washington Post ownership. I still don't quite understand. There was a moment where I feel there was a story to be told about digitally transforming it, the mm-hmm. way that, you know, bringing that Amazon a good investment energy. Yeah. Well, has well, it? You know, the, the other thing is he bought a giant house in DC 
and mm-hmm. has throws like lavish sort of DC society parties. And they did the Amazon, you know, they're, they're building a huge thing in Northern Virginia, right outside the Pentagon. Like he's, you know, he's a political actor. Like mm-hmm. the view of him as a, almost a politician is correct. Right. And so the Washington Post, obviously he should sell it. Like that's outrageous. Like it's crazy, but also this, you know, you're seeing something very scary in our country, which is historically, this has been different from the like monarchies of Europe, right? I'm aristocracies of Europe. I really hate Europe. Um, and you uh, should spend more time. Uh, there. It's actually, it's quite it nice. Sounds like you're a little <laughs> pro Europe. Right I was now. actually born there. But, um, <laughs> they, you know, their commercial centers and their political centers are the mm-hmm. same place, right? Paris, London, those, you know, and now in here, people thought when we were founding the, the country, uh, that's a threat. It's too much concentration of power. So, Washington, D.C. was never a commercial center. It was a political center, and it wasn't that nice because you don't want your politicians to, to be, you know, to cr- essentially recreate royal courts. And what is happening for the first time, and it's not just Amazon, um, the top five defense contractors all have their headquarters in D.C., right? Amazon has a giant commercial operation mm-hmm. in D.C., and you have one of the world's richest men making D.C. part of his home. That's a really, and owning the Washington Post, like this is a really scary um, concentration of political and economic power that we've never seen in America before. And like, that's the broader, con- that's broader context here. Yeah. So let's just end on this. Um, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Mark Zuckerberg in a steel cage, who walks out alive? I thought we were going to do a wager, the over under on how much Amazon spends on their uh, "Don't Take Our Amazon Prime" campaign once the FTC suit drops. But um, you could you could do I, that, uh, sure. On par with Facebook, we save small businesses. I think uh, mm-hmm. definitely on par with that. New York Times and the Journal. You know are gonna what? I, I'm going to say what Jeff Bezos would probably probably say, which is he'd say the person who comes out alive is the person who serves who delights consumers. <laughs> That's right. Okay, us. And then he will murder everyone. <laughs> us four. Us four in a steel cage versus them three. Oh man. Oof. I that's mean, it. as long as Killer Tim Cook isn't on their side, yeah, I think we have think a, we shot. Stand a good we, shot. If someone says mean enough things, they may cr- cry and give up. So that's true. <laughs> we'll lead with Matt. <laughs> the journalists take. Yeah. The book is Winner Sells All, Amazon, Walmart, and the Battle for Our Wallets. You've heard a preview of it here today, but it's a great book by Jason Del Rey, available at all bookstores. Go check it out. And Matt Stoller, you can get his uh, newsletter big on Substack. It's thebignewsletter.com. You could also get Ron John Roy's margins at readmargins.com. Thank you so much, Matt, Jason, and Ron John for joining us. What a great edition. And we had a very nice, lively, live audience on LinkedIn chiming in all throughout so thanks to everybody who watched we will see you next time on big technology podcast thanks so much for joining us